Dave Soeth came to Manteca in the late 60s to be a school teacher. He and his wife Betsy made their home here in Manteca. Married for 53 and a half years. Three kids, six grandkids, and an entire career of past for this educator, coach, Kiwanian, St. Anthony's parishioner, and so much more. You know, some people are just there. And that is who Dave Soeth is to me, someone who has always been here. There's always a familiar, recognizable, comfortable face. And to me, that guy is Dave. And after sitting with him for an hour, I told Dave, you know what? I think you missed your calling. You should be an interrogator. Talk about a poker face. A sense of humor? Yep. It's there, and I'm guessing a very dry flavor of comedy for this man. He's intelligent. He's very cerebral. His kids will tell you he sacrificed many things for them and his family, and to hear his brother tell it, that was the plan all along. I want this podcast to bring some light and laughter and recognition to Dave Soeth, and in particular at this point in his life, and any comedy will do. Why? Because his wife of 53 and a half years, Betsy, passed away in June. Where will he go? What will he do? I know he'll be here in Manteca until the end. And whatever the end is for Dave Soeth, he's lived a life of service. He's a 2012 inductee into the Manteca Hall of Fame for many reasons. You're going to find those out now. I'm Aaron Goodwin. Here comes another great story about a city hero just because. His name's Dave Soeth, and he is on the Man About Town podcast. Hit it. The Manteca Podcast is home this week with Dave Soth. And I've never heard this song before, but the wayward wind. Oh, listen to that. That sounds pretty good, huh? That's your song. That's my song. Why is that your song? Because it was one of the first songs that I remember on the top ten. Uh, on a show called Lucky Lager Dance Time, used to listen to on Saturday night. And that was a number one song on uh, that show for a long time, six, eight weeks. Well, I'm sorry I didn't do it any justice there, but I got to have a theme song for when people come on and I don't have a big budget, so that's as good as you get. So That works. Thank you for having me in your place. I know you, Dave, from... Being a constant of my of my growing up in my St. Anthony's years, all the time I ever make an appearance there, you were always there. You're always there right up until just, you know, of late, whether it's a harvest festival or something along those lines, I'd see you. That alone for me is a qualifier. Somebody that's done something like that or just been focused. And as I dig in, I find out that you are in the Hall of Fame. And boy, you are much deeper than just the guy that was a constant as a, a young kid. So 2012, you were inducted into the Manteca Hall of Fame. Yeah, it was. It, it was a big surprise to, to begin with. Uh, first of all, I didn't even know I was nominated. They just notify you. Yeah. Yeah. It was really pleasing. It was it was really pleasant. I couldn't believe when they called me and told me they were going to put me in the Hall of Fame for doing what I do here, for, for playing music or for being true to my community while I was serving a, a bigger metro on radio with Modesto Stockton being the market of Cat Country 103. We did a lot of great charity things, and I always made sure that there were promotions that came back into Manteca. They didn't have to come into Manteca and do stuff when they would show up there. That's usually somebody, it's a great, important town. Don't get me wrong, but I came back a lot to be uh, given an award by the hometown. Nothing I could have ever done in radio or did supersede that. So I don't know if it affected you like that, but 
I thought I wanted to come out and do a podcast and just make a mental note of where we are right now with the people that are still around and doing what they did, like me being a DJ all those years ago in the 80s, we move forward. And that whole time, you were a teacher, you're an expert in track and field, and uh, I didn't know any of those things about you. So we're going to dig in here. Bishop O'Dowd High School. You were born and raised in Oakland and attended uh, St. Jarlis Grammar School in the Diamond District. Next four years to St. Mary's College, home of the Galloping Gales, graduated in 65, a degree in English, minors in French and philosophy, a teaching credential at CSU Hayward, which is now East Bay. Moved to Manteca in July of 1966. You see, you mentioned Lancer Lake. Yeah, that was uh, there was a low spot in front of the locker rooms and the area out there, and it, it came to be known as Lancer Lake. Every time it would rain, it would completely fill up. In fact, there's a yearbook picture of uh, one of the students out there in a rubber raft paddling around. 1966, mascot, School colors resembled the mascot and colors of St. Mary's. You found that interesting, I bet. But it was a student's choice. They were presented with a variety of choices. They chose the uh, colors and the mascot from St. Mary's. I want to run through some of this stuff real quick before I dig into some audio here. I've been having uh, private investigators follow you around, so hope you've been up to good. Always. Yes, sir. You taught English and French for seven years before moving to a full English schedule. And you also taught journalism in the mid-70s. You earned a Master of Arts in English in 73 at Stan State with some post-grad studies at UC Berkeley, added a second master's in science slash psychology with emphasis in secondary counseling. In 88, halftime counselor to you for one year, moved over to Sierra for a full-time position in the counseling department, and then went 30 years at EU, nine at Sierra. A great career, great people. While you were at uh, East Union, head coach, cross-country, 17 years, six years as assistant track coach in the distance part, head track and field coach for six years, meet director for postseason cross-country meets for league and section off and on for 15 years, and for track and field beginning in 85, 32 years. You had your beautiful wife alongside of you. Um, normally, I go and uh, try to stay in sequential order of, of time, but I just want to mention now, and I gave you a hug when I came in. I'm sorry that you lost your wife. You cleared with me that it wasn't from COVID, but you, you had lost. What, what day did you lose her? She uh, passed away on uh, June 7th of this year. Yeah. It was rough. You married Betsy Fowler. Yep. You had three kids with Betsy. And again, my, my deepest sentiments. Peter, Christine, Matthew, you were married for 53 and a half years. Great years. Yep. All three kids are married, two children each, three girls, two, three boys. Prior to retiring, when did you retire? I retired in 2005. Became a USATF certified track and field official, allowing to officiate meets beyond high school. In your 24 seasons of officiating, I don't know anything about this. It's like a whole nother world. And uh, I imagine most people don't know about this. The, no, they don't. It's the P's a, and Q's. This is a hidden. Right. It's a, it's a small group. and It's like ham operators. Yeah. Like, are you a ham operator too? I was when I was uh, throughout high school and into early college. This seems my, like the ham operator thing. My, transmi- my transmitter blew up and I didn't have any money left to buy a new one. You did some radio, you told me too. Where was that? Yeah, at? I was uh, a DJ at the college radio station at St. Mary's. Uh, I had an evening program uh, called Shelley's Place and uh, played primarily uh, jazz. At that time, we had mandatory study hours. And so they were. we, we had to really kind of take it easy. Uh, Dave Brubeck was big back then. That was uh, one of the ones. Uh, and he was 
popular, but not, you know, much outside the, the, the Bay Area until he did Take 5. Uh, that was a real big one. Sometimes during the uh, big hour, I'd used to do uh, the Village Stomper. What's that? That's a jazz group. It's more of a Dixieland, real Dixie. Okay. Uh, I had been on again, off again, writing, starting when I was about seven years old and getting my little pieces published in the Oakland Tribune in uh, the Ed Elsie column. Really? Uh, nothing out of the spectacular, but there was some, you know, some poems and some little stories and things like that. And kind of continued on again, off again, writing the poetry. And to a small degree, I got involved in the, the Beatnik uh, era when I was in high school. Still listen to albums. And the same thing with the radio shows. The radio shows that had the jazz, I really enjoyed a little bit of uh, Henry Mancini. Good stuff. Tons of meets, including Olympic trials. Right. NCAA Division I, Division II championships as well, Junior Olympics, several world championships, and now a master official and a national level starter for both track and field and cross country. You were a sports reporter, a photojournalist, as well as a stringer for the Modesto Bee, the Stockton Record, the SAC Bee, the old Sacramento Union, did some general reporting member of the Kiwanis Club of Antique at the Noon Crew, work at St. Vincent de Paul at St. Anthony's. Been busy. Yeah, well, you know, I made up my mind long before I retired, basically watching my father. And uh, friends of his who retired and put their feet up and didn't do much of anything just kind of melted away and died. And I looked at my dad, and he was busy with his electronics and with his hobbies and uh, traveling and everything else. And, and we talked a little bit about all that. And I said, I remember telling him one time, I said, you know, I thought you were going to relax a little bit. He says, you know, this is relaxing. He says, I just can't sit still. You know, your mother and I just have to keep, you know, going. And it paid off. I mean, he was 92 when he died, and my mother was 101. And they were going, going, going and up until uh, just before my dad passed away in 2000. Lucky to have him that long. Oh, yeah. No, it was great. Learned a lot about family history and some snippets of stuff in San Fran of San Francisco history. Speaking of, this this table is sort of creaking and rat. That's your table there. I don't want to creak and rat. I know you're looking at the way you broke. You, you just the way you your breath just went away when I did that. I apologize. <laughs> Tell me why you looked at me so aghast. The table itself is <laughs> well over 100 years old. It sounds and well over 100 years it, old. Um, <laughs> it has a date uh, on the inside. And I remember asking uh, about that. And um, my grandmother told me that it replaced, they replaced it. She used to keep it in the basement of her house in San Francisco because it was too small for the, uh, for the dining room. It uh, survived. It had some nicks in, in it. And some of them have been taken out when we had it re refinished. But there's some still little nicks in it that are left over from the result of the 1906 earthquake in the city. Really? Yep. That's why you looked at me like that. I could just see in your head. You didn't say it, but it, you know the, the inner monologue with the echo. It yep. don't you set down that suitcase on top of that table, or I'm yeah. gonna hurt you. Yeah, this <laughs> this table is uh, is round, you know. And you, you is it, is it hard? It. Let's see here. This is how I usually check. I, I don't really knock on a door. Usually we. I am Dave's brother. It works, James. Which hey, echo by Jim? Come on, so Dave is. Three years older than I am. We grew up together in Oakland, California. 
We lived at 3215 Bona Street, and we went to the same grammar school and the same high school. David went to St. Mary's College of California. We've uh, done many things together as a family, hunting, fishing, and everything. He got hired in Manteca, California, and um, while well, I was at the University of Idaho, and he taught in the Manteca Unified School District. I've, uh, of course, visited many times. I am presently living in Torrington, Wyoming, with my wife, Carol. Your brother. I can size him up after listening to this audio y'all are about to hear. Let me size him up right from the beginning. You were going to sit and make yourself a family somewhere, and he wasn't letting California slow him down. He was going somewhere. I think you guys have disagreed about it your whole life. No? No, not really. Um, Or he just very proud of the places he's been, and he is make sure it's known that you still live in Manteca. Maybe you'll find out after this audio is played. You might, maybe you don't know that, but. Yeah, I like to travel. I always have. I know when I first got into teaching, the normal progression was that you went to a school district, uh, usually a smaller one, and uh, you stayed there, you developed your skills, and then you moved to uh, a bigger district and then so on, maybe two or three times. Sure. Like but, radio. Yeah. Just like radio. Yeah, nomadic. And so that uh, that was that was the, the scheme, but uh, things were going so great here, and uh, I love the town, I love the people, so I just stayed put. Uh, he worked for the Forest Service, and as a result, uh, if you're going to go anywhere in the Forest Service, you move around. Sure. You know, he started out uh, in a, the middle of nowhere, Northern California. Yeah. You know, the hottest thing in town was watching the squirrels dodge the logging trucks. And then he gradually moved up, uh, eventually uh, down to Southern California, uh, then to Arizona, and uh, then back to Washington, D.C. Then he wound up in Denver, yeah. uh, which was great because uh, that's where my older son lives, in the Denver area. Sure. And so that was great for them. What about that address he mentioned? What do you remember about living at that address? 3215. That was uh, a house on the top of the hill. Where at? In uh, East Oakland, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, right off of Coolidge Avenue, which uh, runs under the um, MacArthur Freeway. And we uh, used to uh, where the MacArthur Freeway is now. It was, you know, just there was nothing there. We just went up, walked up the street, um, MacArthur Boulevard. It's about halfway between Foothill and uh, MacArthur. And uh, when we moved there, the street dead ended at the bottom uh, of the hill. And so it was great because we could roller skate all the way down and learn how to, you got pretty good at coming back up. <laughs> you knew when to hop so you didn't fall on a crack on the sidewalk. I always was curious as to why there was a barbed wire on a pasture. The bottom of the hill on, on my side of the creek that was down there uh, had a pasture on there and it had an old barbed wire fence. And I do mean old. And so I eventually found out that it, it was a pasture and it belonged to the old Peralta land grant from the Spanish days when that area was controlled by the uh, Spanish and the Mexican governments. Oh, okay. And uh, across the creek was a huge truck garden. Uh, that whole area now was all, uh, all homes. But uh, that was great. We used to play in that creek all the time, and we'd have, a, we'd have a ball when I was a kid. 
but the street uh, was really nice. A lot of great people, a lot of kids, um, just a lot of fun. Jim, what do you know to be true about your brother? Dave has um, students, uh, him and people, for his years in Manteca. He was a very good teacher and track coach. As I heard, he might get the dummies at the beginning of the school year. But by the end of that school year, Dave uh, had turned the kids around and they were no longer the dummies. He's participated in different uh, activities within the church there at St. Anthony's. I had met some of his students who were still living in Manteca. As uh, one of his former students said, he was tough, but he seemed to be very successful. His uh, three uh, children... Uh, went on to college each. Each of them has a master's degree. Two of them uh, still live in California, Christine in Manteca. Matthew lives in Lodi, and they're both very successful in their careers. Continue on. Uh, we didn't always agree with things that uh, we were growing up, but still... We can talk to each other, and I guess sometimes it's probably out directly uh, that I'm lucky to have him as my brother, and I do uh, love him as my uh, brother. We've always been able to communicate with each other. You guys talk a lot. More so now than we did when we were quite a bit younger, but... Um, we still, uh, we spend a lot of time on the phone. It's not uncommon for us to sit down and talk for over an hour uh-huh. about things. Uh, sometimes it's things we remember. Sometimes it's stuff that's going on. Um, people we know, or, you know, he may have seen somebody or heard from somebody that I haven't. Same thing with, with our cousins. All of us try and stay in contact with one another. And so, you know, if I get something, I'll tell him. If he gets something, he tells me. And so, yeah, we talk probably every 10 days, sometimes more, sometimes less. If you were to speak to people about Dave after he's gone, what would you say about him? One, he was a very good father. He was also um, a very good uh, teacher. He also got help with his French uh, from a neighbor, Mr. Dion, who had um, been originally from Paris. And David found that to be extremely helpful in learning to speak French. Students that he had spoke highly of him. He was very helpful, too, at church at uh, St. Anthony's. They made sacrifices for the kids to go to college. Dave seems to be very well liked in the community. What did he mean by that there at the end? So the kids could go to college. We made up our minds a long time ago, uh, Betsy and I, that our kids would go to college if that's what they chose to do and want really wanted to do. And they would get through without any debt. So we put uh, money away. Uh, we saved. There were things we didn't do, uh, things we didn't buy. Well, for one thing, you know, if we got a car, um, we'd run it into the ground. The newest car I sold had over 150,000 miles on it. Uh, that was one thing. Vacations were 
uh, whatever we could do to be, you know, inexpensive. Uh, we did a lot of camping. It was easier to do when you're right here with so many things close. Oh yeah. That don't involve getting on an airplane or going to a theme park. Right. right. Uh, we, we did a couple of those, uh, sure. because my wife's family, uh, with the exception, uh, I'm talking cousins and aunts and uncles, uh, are all from, uh, lived at the time, uh, back in Georgia and Tennessee. And my kids had never met that aspect of their family. And so what we did was we, back in 1982, when the World's Fair was in uh, Tennessee, is we made, we took a trip uh, back there and uh, met up with the folks in Tennessee, met up with the folks in um, uh, Georgia, and uh, got to meet uh, all of them. And I got to meet uh, her uncle, who was an English professor at uh, Wesleyan University in Georgia. And uh, he taught English, and he gave me a lot of uh, ideas and actions and things like that to uh, help me with my teaching career. Would you rather have long nose hair or long ear hair? Probably ear hair. Nose hair tends to get in the way of... Of all of this, everything. Huh? Yeah. How could you go modeling and 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 uh, you know? It it, it, it is not going to happen. You should have been a cop. You sort of got a cop. I feel like a cop. No way. You look I, like an I interrogator. Don't, I don't. I could be. I think, but I don't see myself in in that role. No, I really don't. And I have friends who are. So, if I do the math correctly here, Dave. Charlie Halford was a student of yours. Yes, he was. <laughs> Did you think he was going to be a police officer? I didn't at first. I didn't know what he was going to do. Tell me why. It's always uh, funny. Let's rat, let's rat out one of our uh, podcast one guests. One of your podcast guys? Yes, absolutely. Um, he name. was kind of an easygoing, uh, <laughs> casual uh, guy who uh, just kind of in a way wanted to go his own way uh he really liked working with the people uh but at the same time you know he uh he was like you know the student you know just hey i'm cool i'm here <laughs> present yep <laughs> did you listen to his podcast by chance yeah i did <laughs> lived out the egg farm out there at Harris. yeah huh. yeah well, the whole, I, I knew that i taught uh many of you know several of the halfords you know, I mean, uh, I knew that uh, it was going to be good, but exactly what I didn't know. Jim, why is your brother a treasure to Manteca? I think uh, his living there in one place, helping students to be successful, whether it be in track and field, where he still works. And uh, as a teacher, people benefited from his knowledge, uh, work and experience helping students succeed. Is there something you want to tell your brother? Yes, I think David and I had a good growing up experience at a time in our early years at Richardson Springs, their resort. Also at, we called Minnie's. Uh, she was like a great grandmother to us, but no relation. David and I learned to fish there, the ditch, together with my dad. Time uh, we also had in some old vehicles that were left there on Minnie's property and are gone now that we would play and after my dad checked them out that there were no snakes <laughs> at our great uncle's ranch out of Willows, California. 
the family homestead. David and I um, hunted, learned to fire our rifles and everything. My career as a forester being different from David, he would ask, you know, what's wrong with my orange tree or what's uh, wrong with uh, the other large tree in the backyard. We are definitely brothers and we communicate over the years um, with each other. It's nice to be able to have a conversation with your brother about uh, almost any topic. I know Dave misses greatly his wife who passed away in June um, there, and I too do miss uh, Betsy. Brother seems like a cool cat. Yeah, he kind of is. We're, we're actually uh, different people in, in, in a lot of ways, and uh, people who see us together or who know us together uh, know that, but th- you know, we have an awful lot in common, and uh, that's something that a lot of people, uh, brothers and all, don't have. Do you guys look alike? No. No, not at all. Is he tall? No. He's um, maybe, he's right around 5'10", but my dad was uh, 5'11". What are you? 6'3". My two boys are 6'5". Speaking of... I'm Peter Soth, and I work in public affairs for the Bureau of Reclamation in Denver, Colorado. I work on a wide range of water issues in the western United States, and I'm here to talk about my dad. My dad is a, a true, caring individual who likes to give back to his community and look out for others. It's always doing what's best for everyone, not just for for him or his family, though he always looked out for us. He spent more than 30 years working in education in Manteca. He began teaching on the original staff at East Union High School when it was formed back in the 1960s, and then moved to Sierra High School um, as a counselor when that school opened. In addition, he's also given back a lot he volunteers with St. Vincent de Paul Society at uh, St. Anthony's Church in Manteca and also um, works with the Noon Kiwanas there in Manteca, putting in a lot of volunteer time working with the uh, student clubs and also on the various events that the Kiwanas do for the community in Manteca. This includes the Easter egg hunt, the 4th of July uh, breakfast. The last couple of years have been tough, but I think they've done a really good job of trying to accommodate to keep those events going in the time of COVID. Pete, what's dad like when you were growing up? Growing up with my dad, he always tried to include us and spend as much time with us as he could. I know particularly when I was growing up, he would take me to various events that he was doing. I know early in my life, he was running a summer rec program at Golden West Elementary School through the through the Manteca Recreation Department. And he would take me with him. And it was fun to kind of do the events and spend time with him and kind of be with the older kids. When I was a little older, he was the cross-country coach at East Junior. I would go to the meets. I would travel with them to invitationals on the weekend. And it was fun just getting to spend time with him and the various events and time with him that I wouldn't have had if he didn't take me. Um, being a cross-country coach in high school, it, it takes a lot of time. And being able to spend that time with him as we was growing up was fun. Tell me about Pete. First out. He was kind of quiet, but he was kind of active uh, at the same time. And um, But he was always doing. He was, he was a pretty active kid. And dude. 
there were times we wanted to chase him and you know he, he's always doing he's not he's not the kind of kid that uh would sit still he'd have little projects going or little activities going and he had an area in the backyard we used to call a digging spot and uh, we didn't plan it we didn't do anything he had tunnels and roads and all kinds of things we thought maybe he'd get into you know something of that nature but one time uh it had been so cold he couldn't get out it was one of those old cold winter foggies you know weeks betsy looked out the backyard because she heard the door close there was pete running around the backyard and he had his gloves on his heavy jacket his hat on and she said what are you doing out there he says he says mom i just had a run i just had to get going you know he was that way all the way through uh he worked his way up became an eagle scout had different little you know jobs here and around he did some um warehouse worked in a warehouse i didn't see any of that are you a scout guy I am. I don't know if it's on there or not. Put that on there. Okay. But yeah, I uh, was a cub, and then I was a Boy Scout. I worked for four years. I remember at, that too about the, you. Actually, that that now sort of yeah, rings true. Yeah. The Oakland Council, and then when uh, my two boys got involved, I went on first as a committeeman and later as an assistant scoutmaster in the troops that they were involved with. Tell me a funny story, Pete. A story about Dave is something kind of interesting is when he was, I'm not sure how old he was at the time. Um, I don't know if it was during college or not, but he was worked for as a lineman for the phone company, working on phones, um, setting up people's houses, solving problems and doing that sort of thing. He kind of helped us as a family because if we have issues with our phone line or other lines, electrical, he can fix it and, and do it all uh, based on that experience. So it's a pretty interesting story. Maybe ask him but growing up in Oakland and his father worked with the telephone company and he got to work as a lineman uh, I think to help make money to get through school so that's something interesting you're a lineman phone line I like the uh, the telephone Uh, first of all I could make more money doing that than doing just about everything else and it was a whopping two dollars an hour what's the weirdest thing you ever saw laying phone line in someone's house I'm not going to tell you. Okay. Well, we move right on to the next story. Uh, Another interesting story is he was in a couple Westerns um, (laughs) when he was working at a Boy Scout camp in, I think, near Lone Pine area stuff. He got to be in a couple Westerns. So that was kind of something interesting about my dad. It wasn't uh, a Boy Scout camp, but uh, I was working at, uh, one was at Mammoth Lakes, and they were hiring locals. And so. Where'd you live at that time to be a local? I uh, lived with a family in Mammoth Lakes okay, and uh, worked for them in uh, their construction company in their sporting goods store. Okay. And so that was 1965. Just one of the people wandering around in the town scenes, that kind of thing. I wound up completely on the cutting room floor. And then the other one was uh, a scout trip, the late 50s. It was the first time I ever went up uh, Mount Whitney. And uh, they were filming a movie there. We got to meet uh, Jeff Chandler and uh, in the movie that they had there. And they were, you know, they were looking for some people. But we wound up on, and the only reason I got in was because my dad was there. But um, again, wound up on the cutting room floor. Something you like to tell Pop Pete? I just would want to speak about how much I, I love my dad and really enjoy talking with him about various things from weather to track and field to other sports to um, issues of the day in society, but that he has a real caring heart and is willing to help out anyone regardless of who they are and be there for them when they're, when they're needed. I think he's a treasure to the city and, and giving back to the community through education, through service, and just being there uh, supportive of, of people throughout the community. 
Thanks, Pete. Hi. My name is Matt Soweth. I work in online safety, previously at TikTok, currently at Spectrum Labs AI. I am the youngest son of Dave Soweth. Wow. Boy, that's a, that's quite a TikTok online safety. Is that what he said? Mm-hmm. TikTok boy, that's uh that's yeah. gotta be a great job. Online safety and security. Yeah, it was it was a great job, yeah. And then he moved from TikTok over to Spectrum uh Labs AI. Wow. Go ahead, Matt. So I was born in 1978. Uh, around that time, my dad had been teaching for about 10 years. I know growing up, um, a lot of time was spent at track meets, cross country meets. Uh, oftentimes we'd follow him around. Sometimes we'd jog around with some of the runners. I spent a lot of time working the scoreboard at basketball games and events or just hanging out at school. So if we had an off day at school, we'd go meet our dad, hang out for class, get to have lunch in the cafeteria. All those things were kind of miniature big deals growing up here in Manteca and just having an opportunity, you know, to spend time with their dad who's very active in the community and very active in his school at East Union. What do you know to be true about your dad? One thing about Dave Soweth that I know to be true is he's always a person of his word, whether it was showing up for a commitment, following through on something, uh, being involved in his kid's life. He was always there, uh, always made sure the job got done. More recently, you'll see him at Qantas events, say the pancake breakfast a few years ago was he was selling fireworks to raise money for scholarships. You see him at, if he needed to, city council meetings, if he needed to share his opinion on something that impacted the schools and learning in the community anything that could really help young people make an impact um, he had made a commitment that he was going to follow through and, and do that and I think that was just as true in our lives as well right so he was the scoutmaster. he would coach sports if it was needed he was always at the sporting games um, and reminding us you know about our commitment and working towards that you know if we needed to go to the batting cage anything like that um, he would go out of his way to make sure that happened you know get us to the park to shoot baskets or just play catch in the backyard he's like all right we committed to this you're going to do this thing uh let's go do it let's make it happen and i think that's continued to echo throughout his life uh from all of his involvements be they at school at work be it now in retirement Uh, he's a substitute counselor for a while he was always there to make sure the job got done and to make sure it got done right and had some fun in the process i've never met your i can't picture him so i'm guessing he's just might be a little bit younger too much younger than me he um uh was involved in a lot of things at uh manteca high um when he was there, he, he played baseball and basketball sports-wise. He would do the uh, morning announcements uh, during his senior year. That's what I remember. He was involved in between sports and scouts. Like Pete, he was an Eagle Scout. He's probably, uh, of all of the kids, and even me, he's the most outgoing of them. Uh, in fact, I've seen him do stand-up comedy around here. And he also has emceed some uh, different programs and along with that and hell uh, i could have put him work on the radio i wish i'd have known that maybe we'd have had him nah he wanted to make money he gotta be on the radio radio don't pay nothing yeah <laughs> that's why he got out of that college broadcast and i'm sure is there anything you never told your dad there tell me something about dave you'd like to say to him that you have never told him i'm not sure there's much that i haven't ever told my dad uh, we've had a pretty good relationship whether it was long car rides you know i would call home that's the perfect time to kind of catch up because there's just a lot of downtime and in my early days one of my first jobs i was on the road a lot and it was just a great time to have someone to talk to and pass the hours driving on the road 
road. Um, I think in those moments, what what I really appreciated is just that he was there. My dad was always genuinely interested in our life and what was going on. He really cared about what we did um, and how well we did is very supportive in that respect. I think him just being at our events, working with us to create these opportunities, sharing our passions really helped, you know, my brother, sisters, and I really thrive and be successful in our own lives. Um, he was always just a great role model, I think, of what uh, a dad should be. And I think that reflected in not only how we came out, but certainly the relationship we have today. Tell me more. Most of my conversations about Dave with other folks really have to do with the difference he made in his life. It was fascinating as I start to connect with folks now, uh, particularly those, you know, really good family friends. They all say the same thing. He was a great guy. When we really needed him, he was there. You know, whether it was help moving, whether it was just, you know, talking through a specific issue, being a good friend, coaching in sports. So many students, you know, 20 years plus coaching in athletics, track and cross country. That's a lot of athletes. And I remember growing up as a kid, I'd run into people like, oh, your dad was my teacher. Like, that's really cool. Like, he was like the best teacher. He was so funny. Oh, he's such a great track coach. And it's just great to hear those things, you know, because obviously it's a very different relationship, I think, child to parent. But when you see so many other people who look up to your parent and you look up to your dad in a different capacity and how they're interacting, it really is something special to witness and sort of experience and just the impact, outreach and support he provided to so many uh, for such a long time. Why is he a treasure, do you think, to uh, our town? Dave Soweth is a treasure to Manteca uh, just by the sheer fact of his involvement in so many young people's lives. Uh, through his involvement in East Union, coaching sports, through his involvement uh, in the scouting organization, through his involvement in Kiwanis, uh, through his involvement in our local church at St. Anthony's, he was always giving his time to things he believed in that added value to the community. And that could be in raising scholarship money. It could be in, you know, helping young people make choices in their classes, uh, in English, French, uh, you know, doing travel, coaching sports. He was always there to donate whatever was needed for the greater good of the community. He was actively involved um, in some cases, be it politics, things like that. And he sort of knew who the people were making decisions on stuff and was not afraid to share his opinion, uh, but do so in a very thoughtful and logical way, right? He was not rash on anything. He was incredibly thoughtful on so many things and well-informed. He's a voracious reader. And so I, I think from Antica, if you look at his contributions from the mascot at East Union High to the colors they chose, uh, were heavily influenced by his time at St. Mary's and the Gales. Um, if you look at um, a lot of student athletes who've come out and gone into education, if you look at people working in the community, a lot of them had him as a teacher at some point. Uh, he just sort of had a, a touch point on so many lives um, that you can kind of see that impact resonating uh, just based on the makeup of the community and had how folks are involved, what they're doing, and just why people kind of care what's going on in Manteca. You're going through day-to-day operations and raising kids. Do you think when your kids get older that they turn around and describe you exactly like maybe you never thought? <laughs> Do you think your kids viewed you as such when you hear this audio back? Does it surprise you? It, it, it doesn't surprise me that they do because, you know, we've always had a really close relationship. But the extent of it is the, what gets to me. 
It, it just does. Tell me a super funny, embarrassing story about Dave. So my parents were married in 67. My dad had been here a bit, had started his teaching job at East Union High. This is over at the tower at the time before the main campus was built on Union. And they were living in a set of apartments kind of behind where Foster Freeze was there on Yosemite Avenue near Union. Uh, so they're living on that side of town. And 1967, 68, my parents were young. They'd just been married. They're in their early 20s and they were having to get together at their apartment. And they had invited some friends over. A lot of the teachers then, they're all very young and their 20s no one had kids yet and they would often hang out together and have these little social events um, in the town because that's just sort of who they knew and on one of these Saturday nights uh, they're having their little hangout and they ran out of alcohol and so my dad decided to hop over to the liquor store and this time there's only one liquor store in the whole town and he went over there, got what he needed, you know, six pack, whatever, brought it back to the house. They continue with their party. Uh, come Monday, my dad gets a note to come see the principal. And so he goes into the principal's office. He sits there and proceeds to get a minute by minute breakdown of not only his trip to the liquor store, but also what he bought. Uh, obviously, Manteca was a very small town back then. Everyone knew everyone. That hasn't changed a whole lot for many years after that. But it was hilarious where the principal just started telling him like, hey, if you want to buy alcohol again, just don't buy it in town. And if I find out that you're buying that in town, there's a good chance you may not have a job anymore. So long story short, my dad ended up teaching over 37 years. So that was a non-issue. Um, I just think it's funny looking back at my parents, just drinking was not a thing in their lives. So I find it funny that this moment early in my dad's career, um, almost resulting in the loss of his job just because, you know, he went to a liquor store on a Saturday night uh, in a very small town where uh, everyone is definitely paying attention to what you do. And it definitely speaks to sort of the uh, small town feel that Manteca had back then. Where'd you live? I uh, lived over on uh, El Pertel. Uh-huh. Uh, the uh, apartments there, they're right behind the motel. Okay. And um, yeah, basically what it was is you know, I, right there to minor mark. Yeah. And what we were told at the time was, Hey, you don't go into the bars. You don't go in, into Who the liquor tells stores. You that? The principal. No, that was the general sense of town. Oh yeah. So, I wow. mean, if we were going to, we were, you know, doing socializing and everything else, uh, we went to Stockton or Modesto or, you know, Sacramento is the Bay area because that was, you know, the, the way it was in town. And it was a very old fashioned attitude, I think, but one of the things that drew you here, uh, number one, I wanted out of the Bay Area, big time. I, I really did. I'd been coming through Manteca quite a bit as I headed up to the scout camp where I worked, as well as to uh, some vacations up in the mountains. I, I like the town. I, I just had a feeling for the town. And I know we stopped uh, on one trip coming on from a snow trip, and we were, it was late, it was cold. Uh, the adult leaders in the troop said, Hey, look, let's find some place to stop. Well, the scoop was open. The scoop. And uh, yeah, not too many people even know that. I'm well aware. And so uh, anyway, we went in there and uh, this time they still had the fountain and everything else, but they were kind of getting ready to close down. And so the leaders came back out and said, uh, they're willing if you guys, you know, it's going to be pretty simple. Come in and they took us in and uh, we all got uh, sandwiches or hamburgers you know, we all got fed, we got warm. They were just really thankful. And, you know, that, that made a big impression on me. And here you are all and these here years. here I later. am. Yeah. Would you rather pull a tooth with a pair of pliers or brand yourself with a cattle prod, Dave? Um, how about neither one? Probably the cattle prod. Cause I, I know what those will do. <laughs> Ever been hit with one? No. <laughs> on purpose. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Of course. This is Christine Sewith Huber. Hi. I was the first of the Sewith kids to be born at Manteca Hospital. What do you know to be true about Dave? He's probably the smartest person I know. We always watch Jeopardy every night and he always knew the answers to the questions. And I always wondered why he didn't call on Jeopardy, um, but with his storytelling and just his knowledge, you could ask him any question. Um, my parents added on to their house twice and he often did a lot of the work. Um, he can do electrical. Um, he did the, some of the building. Um, he just knows an amazing amount of skills. Skills like Napoleon Dynamite movie. I got uh, total skills, but I also know what I can't do. <laughs> right. What What's out of your realm? Going to uh, high-end electrical work. Oh, okay. Uh, I can wire a house. I've been working with my dad on that since I was about five or six years old. I started pulling wire with him and then uh, went on from there. But uh, I did the, uh, you know, I, I could I did the wiring in this house. I could do plumbing. Crappy job. Yes, it is. But uh, I can do carpentry work, but I, I there's engineering and some of the building skills I don't know. Right. And, uh, you know, I would, leave, I would leave those to uh, other people. Um, and I work with some really good ones here in town. Your daughter. What was it like having a girl? Uh, it's different. It was not only different, it was a surprise. In those days, they didn't tell you whether it was a boy or a girl or, sure. or anything else. And so uh, when... Uh, the doctor came out, and uh, it was Dr. Veldstra. Okay. He came out, and he said, it's a girl. And I went, huh? <laughs> and he said, it's a girl. And I said, oh, I said, I said I was expecting a boy. And uh said, she's the first girl in, in several generations. And so I called my parents up after I called Betsy's parents up, and I said, hey, uh, our, our, our new baby is a girl. And there's silence on the other end of the line. <laughs> And my dad says, who's a girl? I said, your granddaughter. It's a girl. Oh. It's a whole different ball game as a dad, though. Yes, it is. A whole different set of worries. Very. Very familiar with being a boy. That's a little easier. Yeah. That was, that, I can, that I can do that a little easier. I know about that. Yeah, me too. The girl... That was an education. Tell me something funny about your dad. One of the stories that sticks out for me is I was on a six-week backpacking trip in Europe with a friend, and this was pre-cell phone days. And I would call in uh, once a week or twice a week to check in with my parents because they want to know I was still alive and okay. And I was in Florence, and my dad asked me if I had seen Michelangelo's David statue. And I hadn't. I didn't know where it was. Um, and he's like, he just said on the phone, well, where are you right now? And I said, I'm right next to the Uffizi Gallery, the museum. And he's like, oh, you're very close to it. You're down a few streets. And he proceeded to tell <laughs> me, like, where he needed to go to get to the museum to see a David. And my dad's never been to Florence, so I'm not sure how he knew where to go. But he just seems to know a lot of facts <laughs> about things, things that he's not experienced, um, but that he's learned along the way. It's always great to talk with him and, and hear stories of what Manteca was, you know, his life or things you don't want to know more about bookworm he's a bookworm yeah there's nothing wrong with that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. that's why you are who you are that's why you're so respected there's a phrase somebody once said that knowledge is power yep but knowledge is only power if you know how to use it Tell me some more, Christine. Well, one of the things growing up, and my dad was not only English teacher, but he was also the cross-country coach and the track coach, track and field coach. And our house um, used to get 
TP'd um, quite a bit uh-huh. and on the Friday, Saturday evenings and at night. And um, my parents stayed up later and would often hear the students outside um, and they could go look out through the front window and see that they were being TP'd. Well, one of the times my dad was able to figure out which students they were so he went out after they left and collected all the toilet paper and then saved it and then the next monday at school he actually put the toilet paper on their desk so when the students walked into the classrooms um they knew like they were caught um but it was in a funny way because he tp'd their desk back and didn't say anything to them about it at all um so i think that is just a great <laughs> it's pretty funny you know that um to kind of get the other the students kind of back for what they were doing. You know, it doesn't look like you think it was so damn funny, actually. <laughs> or you're just not a big smiling man. That's a funny story. It is, and the funnier part of it is, is when they walked in the classroom and saw it, I put on uh, Wagner's uh, Ride of the Valkyries. <laughs> What do they do? What was their eyes? What did they look like? Their eyes got as, <laughs> as big as saucers. And because uh, we, we had talked about that and different different kinds of things. Cause we were It was an honors class, and we were talking about uh, legends and the, the various sagas of the civilizations. Anyway, but uh, they did that. And so then just for fun, what we did, we had finals. I played it again when they, as I was passing out the finals. And one guy goes, oh, no. You just, I could just see you in there just staring at him and behind your eyes laughing. Oh, I was, I thought it was hilarious. You're that guy. You do a lot of internal laughing. You don't let nobody know you're laughing, do you? Sometimes. Come on. Sometimes. Come on. I know better. I sit and interview people all the time. You should be, well, you're a counselor. So you got to do that, I guess. Did you learn that in count? Well, you were like that as a teacher. This is, you, was, you've I've, always been this way. I've kind of always been that way. Should have been a cop. Nah. Should be an interrogator now. You I should offer your fun. services to go in and, and just stare at people to make them nervous. No, I've, I've done that before, but it's... <laughs> oh, uh, I bet. Tell me a great attribute about Dad. I would say he's a very giving person. He always gave for our families, made sure that we were provided for. He taught English for 30 years, and then I think was a counselor for 10 years at Sierra High School. But he also volunteered at our church as a Eucharistic minister. He also volunteers currently with St. Vincent de Paul. He also taught um, at Delta College. Um, He also taught for um, people who English was their second language. He was always looking to help the students and the families be successful and he took that responsibility very seriously he was a cross-country coach he was a track coach he continued on to be a track official usa track and field official it's not anything that is um he does for the glory of it but he really enjoys giving back and participating and working um and serving the people that are with him so i you know while just acknowledge him for that and i think he's been a good role model for all of us in in doing that and we his three children all continue to do that to this day while he didn't grow up in manteca he's spent most majority of his life here and i think 
he sees the the positiveness of of Manteca and um, always talks about the families and the support that they would have for one another over the years. Wouldn't it be great if she just went, you know what, my daddy used to beat me all the time and slap me and never happens on this podcast. I I think because of my targets, I'm never going to get that. It's always great, superior human people. All consistency, like every other hero on my podcast, it's the same story and they're in three states. They did not kibitz to each other. Nobody's talking to each other about what they're going to say, yet they all say the same thing. It was Eric Reed. It's been with everybody. It's been with everybody. That's what I'm finding out. That's what I've noticed. And um, I think that's, you know, that's a trait of highly successful people. Well, and here you are hearing it play out after listening to the podcasts mm-hmm. about yourself. It's got to be an interesting thing. Why is he a treasure? Well, I would say that he um, has lived here for over 50 years. He has served this community as a teacher, as a counselor, as a coach, as a volunteer, running service organizations as the president and other seats. And he truly believes in giving back to making Manteca the best place possible. He's invested in his students. There are many students that he was a mentor to and that he continued to mentor and support long after they graduated from high school. He talks very positively about Manteca since he's lived here for so long and Manteca I think had around 8,000 people when he moved here. Um, He really can share how the town's grown, how different policies have affected the city um, and with his storytelling skills that he's a historian you know for for the city i love when she keeps saying skills something's uh, something about napoleon dynamite movie that reminds me of you say get involved as much as possible make the town a part of your life and your experience and you'll grow as a result that's charlie halford's exact quote it is chuck crutchfield's your daughter got into serving because of you and your influence and your wife's influence. And I would have to say definitely that, you know, my wife had the influence because the two of them were into the uh, therapy, social. Social side of it. Social side of it, yeah. What a great couple. Yep. Great couple. So is there anything you'd like to tell the teachers or students? What would you like to say to those people that might be listening that went through your class or that you worked with? Because I'm gonna, we're going to shine on the track part a little bit. I know that's just way too much. The podcast isn't long enough for me to get into every in and out of what you do for track. And just I can't dig into your whole life. That's why we sort of got to glance over and not dwell on everything. Or this would be a seven hour podcast. Your people are just like that, that I'm picking. Is there anything you'd like to say to your students? I would like to say, first of all, that uh, I really enjoyed having all of my students uh, in class. I learned as much from you, uh, hopefully, as you did from me. Um, I learned uh, how to teach because I learned how to present the material to a wide variety of people. And, uh, for example, teaching poetry by playing the music of the late 60s worked out great. As a result of that, you learn poetry, and I learned how to teach it. How about uh, teachers? Who affected you as a teacher? For me as a teacher... As a mentor, and then as a peer. The teachers that I met, there that I had... There were only a couple that I met after I graduated from high school and uh, college, mainly because I moved out of the Bay Area. But uh, one of the teachers that I had was my Latin teacher, Sister uh, Mary Mark. I learned how to present a lesson and put it together. 
And as far as organization goes in the classroom, uh, that was probably my chemistry teacher, Gerald O'Donnell. We used to call him Dr. God because his initials were G-O-D, and that's the way he signed all the slips. Were you a good student? I was a good student. High school, I was B plus, A minus range. Partly, I probably could have done better. College? College, same range, except for my freshman year. And my freshman year was my fault because I never really had to learn to study in high school, even though as demanding as O'Dowd was. O'Dowd was primarily a college prep high school, which is why I wanted to go there. Because I knew if I was going to get going, I wanted, I needed to get to college. And I knew my dad and, and mom never had that experience because of the circumstances of the late 20s and the 30s and the Depression era. But in college, I thought I could get by the same way I was getting by in some of my high school classes. Uh, it turned out to be a miserable failure. <laughs> Got called into the dean of students, told, uh, you know, you're in trouble. Uh, what are you going to do? I said, uh, I'm going to take care of it. And I said, what do I need? He told me what I needed. And at the end of the next semester, I was on uh, the honor roll and uh, I got called back in and he said, what did you do? And I said, I studied. And I said, and so he said, you developed a habit. And I said, yes, I did. And after that, to me, it was easy, but I'd learned the skills that were necessary to be, make it easy. If you want to call college easy. Scott Brooks, go through the program. Yes, he did. Is he the most popular national celebrity that you've taught? Uh, He's moved up there. I've yeah, I, I would say yes, he was. Yes, After he is. After coaching, I think that moves him past just being a, a player. He's, he's been done so yeah. so much doing that. How do you get involved in track? Are you a track person? You don't look like the fastest guy, are you? Is that a joke? I was, I was a runner. I wasn't the fastest guy in the world. I could do, you know, I was running the mile at the time. Was we ran the mile instead of the 1500, uh, right around five which, you know, was okay, but, you know, nothing great. But I watched a movie that was, people have kind of panned it, but I thought it was really good. It was called The Bob Mathias Story. And I thought, wow, that's something else. And that really got me interested in track and field. And um, I kind of did with it. I, I didn't run much when I was in college just for fun. Uh, mainly we didn't have a team, but we did have, we, we had a club. You play any other sports? Uh, coming up, I played basketball and baseball. Okay. I was looking to kind of expand my horizon, I guess you could call it. They needed a cross country coach at East Union and I knew distance and I had, uh, you know, a pretty fair idea of what was going on. And so. Do you read a book? I did, but I also went to, uh, took some clinics. Oh, Okay. And um, coaching clinics, coaching clinics. Okay, I see. And you can you can get stuff. Fake it till you make it. Yeah, which was about two weeks. We wound up taking a team that had uh, never, uh, you know, never really won much, and uh, we wound up uh, number two in the VOL. Then I had another runner who was a Swedish exchange student named Jonas Holmberg. You remember that guy? I remember him, and the reason I remember him, uh, he wound up. Uh, on the Swedish team, and somebody had told me that he made the Swedish Olympic team. But really? I never, and that was back in 1980. But I, that I cannot confirm. You get into track. How do you get into the national? Uh, what exactly are you? I am a uh, certified USATF master official. I am a master by event and category. You and you have to become a master in 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 each category. 
And to do that, you start out as an association or an apprentice. Uh, you're there for two, maybe three years. Then you become a national and you're there for three or more years. And uh, you move up, you take over as head of event, that kind of thing. And you're constantly mentored and you're constantly uh, evaluated. If at the end of that time, um, you, uh, the uh, master officials in that category feel that you were ready and you've proved that by hands-on experience plus testing uh, as, as well as, uh, you know, your personal evaluations, then you're uh, given master status. And so I am a uh, master throws official. I am a master implement inspector. Uh, I hold national ranking in umpire, marshal, starter, and uh, I also have uh, association in uh, cross country and long distance running. Yeah, I'm talking to the man. What do you want? My name is Chuck Butner. Oh. I used to be a physical education okay. teacher for Stockton Unified School District. Hey, Chuck. And right now, I'm retired, and I'm starting track and field and cross country for everybody from four years old up to 96. I've probably known him by name and seeing him for 10 to 15 years. I like this guy. Went over to his house, sold his house. Right. Made a bunch of money. Good for him. Yep. He's a great guy. Uh, extremely knowledgeable. I've learned a lot from him. Are you guys close, Chuck? The more I got involved in the section or division that he was involved with, the closer I got to him. To the point where he got me to quit starting his division meet and I became the meet referee. So I don't give up my starting assignments to just anybody. And I've done that for Dave Sowett. Tell me something true about him. Oh, he's a good man. He's honest. He tries to do his best in everything. He tries to elicit the best out of anyone he deals with. Let's say, for example, he's working with someone in weights and measures and they've never done it. There's never an angry word. It's always positive. He's willing to show them the easiest way to do it and the most efficient way to do it. He's a, a classy individual as far as I'm concerned. And in the track world, who is he? He is the guy that measures the weight, the angle, Everything to do with a shot put, with a discus, with a javelin, with a hammer, the right measurements for the cable on a hammer, the weight has to be within a certain proximity of being perfect, otherwise they won't allow it. And they actually take it away from the athlete and say, sorry, and they mark it. You can't have this back until after the meet. And he's never been nasty about it. Most of the weights and measure people are good people. I've seen one or two that will say, yeah, you can't have that word. Why did you even bring this? But not Dave. He said, why? He's just cool, calm, and collected. He said, most of the weight and measures people, you guys are your own little crew, huh? The numbers, the numbers, paying attention. Very few. We're, we're a very <laughs> small group. I bet. Very small group. I bet. I don't know how you fall into something like that. Um. I got into weights and measures um, by way of the throws uh, because um, I worked with a lot of the throws um, in different different events. And so uh, one of the things that came out of that was that I was having trouble out in the field. My knees were going out. Oh. And so, I, you know, you've got to get out of the way of these things when they're flying through the air. Oh. 
And so I was having a little bit of trouble with that. So I got into uh, weights and measures. And though I still continue to do throws, I work only around the cage uh, or the ring. And uh, although sometimes I'll work the javelin um, out uh, way out in the sector. But uh, that's how I got into it. And I got in with uh, two guys uh, who were some of the best in the United States. And one of them is one of the best in the world, George Kleeman. And uh, George uh, mentored me and uh, would uh, help me through the things, uh, taught me a lot of stuff. Uh, and a lot of things now that I learned from him, I've become second nature and I've passed on to people that I have mentored. I learned a little bit on watching Netflix, this thing about Bruce Jen- Caitlin Jenner, Bruce Jenner. Have you seen that? It's real recent. No, I haven't. It's on Netflix and it's uh, Chronicles. It's video that I think the wife has went in the decathlon. It was pretty interesting. Ah. There's a lot that goes on there. Hey, Chuck, something you've never said to Dave Soth that you like to say. I hope I said everything I'm supposed to say to him, that he's professional, that he's a good friend. I can depend on him. And when he he says on the 14th, they're going to have the Zoom meeting, can I come over and join you? Absolutely. Not everybody's into that. But Dave will say, come on over. Let's sit down. Let's have our Zoom meeting with all the other officials. And he's just a good guy that way. I know the type. He's got a flip phone. So you're Mr. Technology just because you're able to engineer a Zoom call. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's really not that bad. I, I, I've had to do it. And Chuck hasn't. But uh, no, I... Uh, you know, I just enjoy having him uh, and, uh, you know, working with him. Uh, Dear, go ahead. He's just a really great guy. Is there a funny story, Chuck? Dave and I were doing, he was doing weights and measures at the National Junior Olympics at Sacramento State. I was a starter and we were in a meeting and he said, I got a problem. What's wrong, Dave? I lost my wedding ring. I can't tell my wife. I said, okay. Uh-oh. I, every time I got a moment off from starting, I was supposed to be eating lunch or whatever. I'm looking through the facility trying to find his ring. And I promised him, Dave, I will find your ring by the end of this meet. I'm walking the campus. After the meet is over, I go through the parking lot. This guy looks at me on the last day with about an hour left in the meet, and he said, what are you looking for? I said, my buddy lost his wedding ring. He looked at me and he said, does it look like this, that, and the other? And I said, I have no idea. And I was about 50 yards away from Dave. I walked down and said, Dave, come here. Explain to this guy what your wedding ring looks like. He told the guy, the guy had it in his car from the first day when a lady found it in the parking lot and said, I found the wedding ring. And the guy said, I will find out who it belongs to. He stuck it in my in his car and forgot all about it. An hour before the meet was over, Dave had his wedding ring again. Oh, I, bet, <laughs> I bet you flipped out, huh? Oh, I did. I, you know, I just... You know, I almost cried. Yeah. And uh, I went down there and I, I thanked him profusely uh, for it. And I, I said, I said, you don't know who, who was. It says, no, it was just a lady. She said, found it. What had happened is it came off my hand right as I got out of my truck. And she saw it laying on the ground right there uh, between uh, two cars. 
you know, the first thing I did was I'd already called Betsy and told her that it, I'd lost it and told her it fell off my hand. I even rented a metal detector all over the area that I was normally working. I did find a couple of other rings, but, <laughs> uh, you know, one of them had a pretty good sized diamond in it, but I turned it in and turned them all in and, but they weren't mine. I like to ask a question. God forbid if Dave wasn't around anymore, Chuck, uh, what would you say to somebody? This was a man who loved his students, wanted the best out of his students, loved his athletes, wanted the best out of his athletes, loved working with his fellow officials in USATF. And I know it was a ton of work. He enjoyed putting on a section or subsection meet, or he enjoyed putting on a division championship and he got all the right people to do it and i've started division one two three four and five and of all the meets that i've started that i've worked at his are the most organized he's got the most professional people there i had to be a meet referee at his track meet and had one thing to worry about the entire meet to to take care of i worked another divisional meet the next day and I was busy the entire day. It's just the people that he gets and how professional he is. Tell me something more. They do so much for the community and he is so involved. And I called him up one day and I said, can we do this? He said, it'll have to be after a certain time. And I said, oh yeah. He says, yeah, I've got Kiwanis. We're gonna be doing something for someone. I can't remember who it was or what it was, but he was always doing, he and Betsy, were always doing something for someone else. And you can't ask anything more. I really like Chuck. That's very cool that uh, that uh, you got that little thing here to support you now. You've, you've actually got a little family here for you. Uh, side of your own blood family, you got your little track and field family here. And that's got to be some consolation uh, that you're not, you got something to take up some time since your wife passed. Yeah, it's really great. Uh, when uh, the word got out, and I don't know how the word the word got out to uh, my track and field uh, family. But uh, all of a sudden I'm getting emails and text messages and phone calls from officials from as far north as, you know, the Red Bluff area and uh, plus all over in between. And uh, just the support, uh, we're here, what do you need? You know, what happens and, you know, what can we do? And uh, some of them even came to the funeral from Sacramento area. And so it's really, really, uh, you know, part of the, the major support group that I have. Um, and that, you know, that's, that's, that's one group. I also have a, a strong support group here in Manteca, uh, people that we've worked with uh, through St. Anthony's or through the community, uh, the Kiwanis Club. Uh, what would you like to say to those people? Thank you. Just thank you. Um, knowing that I have that kind of support, and uh, people that I can talk to who understand uh, where I'm coming from. We can all act like we understand, but unless you've been through it, I don't think anybody understands. So I just want to offer condolences again. Yeah, thank you. You you really can't. And but there are people within the group that 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 know. I don't think anybody can understand what another individual is going through uh, in that situation. You can say it's like, but you can't say it is. Coach Thompson. Right. Did you hear Coach Thompson talk about being in the airport? Right. When his son passed? Right. And he's got a pair of sunglasses on and he's just sitting there and he's like, hey, you people don't know what I'm going through. Yeah, you and don't. That's something that you you're, don't. you're living through it right now. So 
We're getting around the area of the clock where I return to my dogs and my uh, editing process. Uh, is there any questions you'd like to ask me? I'd like to close that one out. Sometimes people have questions to ask of me. Sometimes they don't. I wouldn't fart for the difference, just to tell you. <laughs> no, not really. I, okay. I thought about uh, some things that I would ask you. And, um, you know, one of the questions that I had is uh, I never saw myself as a hero. Uh, I saw myself as, as, as a member of the community. But when it's all said and done, you can't put all of your accolades, you can't put all of your things on your resume on one sheet of paper. You got four sheets of paper to list them. <laughs> and that wasn't using any spaces or hitting enter and putting them in bullet point. That was just writing them in paragraph format. That's who you are. And hero type people continue to serve kids, serve schools, serve communities. That's what you've done. In the end, you didn't get put in the Hall of Fame for your charming, talented conversation, Dave. No. This is a great place to live, and I, uh, I have no regrets about coming here. So let's, let's take us back to that day in 2012 there at the Senior Center. Since we, I asked you to bring the speech along, go ahead and read the speech like we were there that day after we just had heard that induction. Hey, it is with pleasure and uh, with more than a bit of excitement to stand here and thank the people who have nominated nominated me. Education is not only an area to which I have devoted much of my life, but also one that was interesting and definitely challenging. One of the things I I need to remind the audience is if you see a group of people sitting around the table and they start throwing kisses, it doesn't mean that they're, you know, really caring and love. It means keep it short, Soweth. Oh. (laughs) That goes way back to some of the uh, evening's presentations from track and cross country. (laughs) Education uh, is seeing students step out of their comfort zones, arguing for school colors and mascots as East Union moved from the shadows of Manteca High. Gaining confidence as a result saw those same students move to the fore in academics and to write the school's alma mater. Education is seeing aha moments as students make major breakthroughs. The students get a great grade as they master a writing assignment, master both writing and thinking skills, A picture may be worth a thousand words, but so is a smile. Another moment is the satisfaction the students exhibit when, after struggling through failed exit exams and classes to address their needs, finally pass the state tests. Not only do those students achieve skills, but they also learn that not giving up can gain them their goal. Education is then about addressing needs, whether they are academic or personal. Education is about believing in students, and their innate ability to succeed. As one teacher said, we don't do this thing for the purpose of being recognized. We do it because we believe in kids' futures. Education is all about changing lives and impacting futures. While working on students' futures, it is important to remember education impacts students' present. Education is about caring, about making students comfortable in the classroom and with the subject matter. Education is about constantly prodding students to do more, to constantly improve while providing the tools to do so. Education is about instilling confidence as well as skills. As confidence in one's ability grows, knowledge grows. As knowledge grows, work habits grow. Education addresses more than just information, but how it might be used to solve a problem or advance an idea. Education is about presentation. In business, great product, poorly presented, will not reach its audience. In education, the way the product is presented is as important as the content. 
Education adapts to its classroom consumer. What works for one group may not work for another. In the 1960s, books, encyclopedias, pens, pencils, and notebooks supplemented the blackboard. In 2012, technology is the mode. The summer and evening class I taught at Delta showed that Manteca was definitely doing a great job besides providing resources for the classroom. It didn't stop at grade 12. It continued on. Outside the classroom, who can forget the community days and picnics? Lancer Lake and jackrabbits nibbling the landscape plants. The first basketball game in Dalvin Gym where someone turned on the heaters instead of the exhaust. There were the faculty room gatherings in the morning before classes began when staff would drink Ed Williams coffee, share sports talk, and political opinions. Outside, there were the conversations as we watched the Union Road campus grow with new buildings and student-friendly welcoming landscaping. After 30 years as a Lancer in the classroom, moving to Sierra uh, as a counselor uh, to work with Rick Arukin and some of the folks from EU who moved with Rick, let me work with another great program. The block schedule was an aha moment for me. Great advantages to students, more classes, higher test scores, fewer absences. Moving from the classroom to the counseling office gave me a new view of education and a chance to work more closely with the community. Working with the deaf students in the county program let me work with some very dedicated teachers and specialists who showed students people cared. More wow movements when students succeeded. More good memories come from 17 years of the track and cross-country meets as students trained and gradually set PRs with some same student athletes learning that the personal record was the goal with new goals set as old PRs fell and seeing that idea carry over in class and in life. Another strong memory is the truly unique experience of being on a bus full of athletes riding back from Sonora or Los Banos after a track or cross-country meet. It was exciting, it was fun, and it was definitely interesting. There are more great memories of fellow teachers, administrators, counselors, the people working together to benefit the students who came through the classroom doors, the people who continuously encourage their students to go for the gold. Great memories of the students who gained in knowledge and wisdom because they took the time to participate in the school experience. Great memories of being able to share my passion for reading, studying great literature and writing. Great memories of having to devise lessons to pass on my passion for literature and writing, knowing that I was teaching more than writing essays, but reasoning from factual information. Someone asked me once if I would choose another profession, what would it be? And after much thought, I couldn't come up with another career I would like to pursue. I am glad that I chose education and Manteca. It has been a great 39 years I look back on with fondness and satisfaction. How long does it take for you to write your speech? I know how long it took for me to write mine. How, how long did it take for you to write yours, Dave? Days. 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 Three. Probably more. Probably more. Um, I have found that the more formal I have to write, the longer, for example, I've done eulogies and, uh, you know, as well as speeches like this, that it takes a long time and you write and you rewrite and you rewrite. And, um, the idea that you can crank out uh, the most fantastic piece of uh, writing in a matter of minutes uh, really doesn't exist. Uh, 
And um, I take a look at uh, the, I really gained the idea, I should say, from Ernest Hemingway and, and a teacher I had in high school. Who's that? Uh, it was uh, Sister Michael. At uh, Bishop O'Dowd High School? At Bishop O'Dowd. And we had, um, we were looking at it and there was a little piece of information that Hemingway would write and then up to a certain point and then stop when he knew what he was going to do next. However, he would come back the next day and start at the very beginning of the piece and write all the way through and read all the way through and then continue writing, making changes in editing as he went along. Now, if somebody with the talent of Hemingway had to do that, what about the rest of us? Better take a little more time. You got it. That's anything in life, isn't it? It really is. And it's uh, it's a matter of, of focusing. It's a matter of looking at the pieces and putting the pieces together and then finding the uh, best way to uh, get them out there. Thank you for having me in your house. I appreciate it. Thanks for being on the Manteca Podcast, The Man About Town. You're welcome. So the show is called The Man About Town Podcast, Manteca. And my name is Aaron Goodwin, also known as Randy Bubba Black. I do it in order to set a time in history. You make sure you add our page, subscribe to our feed, share, tell a friend, find us exclusively on Anchor Podcast. I promise you a great guest every week for the next year. And I thank you for today's listen. The podcast is sole property of Aaron Goodwin. It may not be reproduced or distributed without written consent. All music used in the podcast is utilized and covered by Fair Rights Usage. Manticapodcast.com.